The theme for the afternoon talk is <coughs> thought, views, and understanding. Just uh, an hour or so ago, we uh, made the uh, short walk to the nearby lake, quiet, silent, sort of single file walk uh, down to the lake. We took the uh, ashes uh, with us, commemorated for a few moments the passing of a person's life, gave the ashes to the lake and made the return walk. Sometimes, uh, on some such uh, occasions, it gives us a reminder of life arising and passing gives us a reminder uh, that we live so to speak in a world of presence and absence of coming and going of birth and death and with the passage of the uh, years in the kind of friendships and circles and family uh, members, as well as those kind of names in the public eye who we have seen on the television, listened to on the radio, read about in the newspapers, coming and passing in from this world. And I remember one actor who was beloved English Shakespearean actor commented once a few years ago that uh, he would open the Times newspaper every morning to see if his obituary was in the newspaper to check whether he was alive or not. <laughs> and we move through this world of, as I say, uh, comings and goings. And the tradition, uh, the Buddhist tradition, uh, the Buddha, has very strongly uh, encouraged us to ensure that we bring death into the field of consciousness. We are mindful of death, we reflect on it, we give attention to it, uh, we look at the variety of births and deaths that we are exposed to, the birth and death of the day, the birth and death of the moment, the birth and death of the experience, uh, the birth and death of animals and friends and family and people uh, near and far. And though it's extremely hard often to try to comprehend our own uh, life and, and certainly our own death uh, there, but it's well worth bringing that into attention as well. And some people have a fear that if we really reflect and give attention to death, it could lead to a kind of morbid condition, uh, a fearful or negative outlook upon life. But in fact it tends to have uh, the reverse. And so rather than bring a, a kind of depressed mood upon us, and human beings are really willing to face up to issues, 
to really give attention to some of these bare uh, realities, then there's much less likelihood of becoming uh, unhappy and fearful, anxious uh, uh, creatures. And when we really give some thought to and take a look at what our, our actual uh, views are and get closer to life and therefore closer to uh, birth and death, it does help considerably to put into perspective our own life as well as the lives of others. And it's not that long ago I, re I remember there was that um, <coughs> popular uh, one-liner <clears throat> uh, running around which said, said something like um, when I get to the end of my life I won't be thinking I wish I spent more time in the office and lots of people plenty of you here who work in the office uh, may have had that view from time to time but even with such a thought and uh, such a view, one can always kind of think a little bit outside the box. Uh, in this case, uh, the coffin. <laughs> um, <laughs> and what I mean, mean by that is that I would, the question I would ask as a Dharma Walla, what is one doing in, in the office? So the blanket picture I won't come to the. I don't want to come to the end of my life and feel like I spent too much time in the office. My view would be, if if in being in the office, one is genuinely providing acts of love, real service, real support for the welfare of others, colleagues and staff, and. Uh, with noble aims and in, uh, intentions and consideration for what is, takes place there, whether it's human service work, or whether it's the production uh, of goods, uh, facilities, whatever it might be, one could come to the end of one's life and be genuinely happy because of the worthwhile factor of one's initiative and one's endeavour and say I'm very happy I spent so long in the office all depends very much as the tradition has very wisely said to us that in our relationship to the world and as the Buddha commented many times we are known as human beings primarily we are known by what we do. We are known, as he said, by our actions. And the actions which come, of course, are the inner ones, the inner life, it's an action, it's an activity. The second which comes is through speech, it's, uh, an activity, obviously, of communication. And the third is by uh, the movement of the body whether that's writing or the arts or creativity or work or social things or whatever. So human beings are known by what we do, known by our, by our actions.
and the actions do have some origin for us and some of that origin of course is very much with the quality of the inner life and particularly around feeling, perception, meeting together to form thought which meets together to form the view, which means to meets together to form the action. And this movement, in a rather simple way, constitutes and generates the makeup of our, our life. And it's a little bit of a phenomena for us, because as we look rather deeply into uh, ourselves and see this conjunction of feeling, perception and thought, uh, and view that the inner life seems so uh, ephemeral I mean what is a thought it's hardly anything is it it doesn't seem to have any substance to it it's just a word or a concept or an idea it kind of flickers in and out of consciousness it's got no uh, body to it it's terribly abstract there and we can't ever quite get a handle on any particular thought and we find as well with our meditations if we sit very still and we place our attention with full attention inwardly we could say to ourselves okay and now I'm ready for you I'm ready for a deluge of thought, a tsunami of thoughts, an earthquake of thoughts. I'm totally prepared for all the thoughts to come right now. <laughs> and one is completely still, with total presence, clear motivation, fully ready, fully attentive. <laughs> thoughts don't come. They hide. They disappear. Come on. Get me thinking about that story, that fantasy, that daydream. Come on, come on, come on. Nothing goes on. Come on, that's what I'm here for. So there's something extraordinary about the... Um, I used to call one of the American politicians the tricky dick state of the mind. How full presence, full attention fully conscious in the moment with all the interest in thought to arise it doesn't arise it just doesn't emerge and then it's back sometimes with revenge <laughs> sometimes with reaction uh, or whatever and in the field of thought we're just thinking, thinking, thinking of course, what we are thinking about is expressing a whole range of views and opinions for and against, likes and dislikes. All of this is going on. And in the midst of all the thinking that's going on, there may be, what should we call it, a very good idea. And that very good idea, through the mass and mess sometimes of the thinking, the good idea manages to come through. Oh, I, I would really like to. It's about time that I did. I really must uh, 
change this. And there's one person pointed out uh, over the weekend uh, here, I thought it was rather sweet. We sometimes have, uh, we, we create these uh, to-do lists. And he, uh, I can't remember the exact wording, but suggested we should have a, a list of uh, not to do, or a list of letting go of, or whatever. So sometimes with the thoughts that arise uh, uh, for us, the good idea comes. But we wonder, why is it I have a good idea there, feel quite some conviction about it, but it just stays inside of me. I might even bring it to talking to others about, usually boring them to tears, but nevertheless. <laughs> and one starts talking to others about what I would like to do, what I'd like to create, or to make happen, or to make changes. But the thought, and then its expression as the view, seems to be powerless. So when we look, despite the lovely ideas that we have, and many lovely precious ideas which come up here and uh, elsewhere, something is missing. And even if I consistently think about something that I would like to do, and I express lots of views about it to, my, to myself and get up in the morning and I keep a journal and I get some more ideas and I go and talk about it with my therapist and I go on another retreat, etc. And yet, in all of that, what is the mobilizing activity? What is it that's missing that is not allowing perception and feeling to meet to thought, to meet to view, to meet to action, to meet to engagement. Something is missing. And part of the reason for that is because the thoughts, even the best and good thought, do not have an empowerment. Because they're so negligible. Their thoughts are so faint. They're so insubstantial but they easily entertain. And that entertainment, because it's got no authority to it, doesn't lead to movement. Therefore, thought on its own is hopeless. It's not a problem, it's just hopeless. <laughs> and because it needs to link. And uh, Buddha has said for this that if I have a good idea, you know, sometimes people um, will say, oh, I really need to um, change my job. Some people say this until they're 65. <laughs> and um, oh, if they get to that age, and uh, others will say, I really feel um, I've got a book inside of me. Uh, there. some of us had it's unfortunate and um, some of us will say um, I really want to do this whatever it might be as I say and if it's genuinely not happening and even though one has 
thought about it and one has views about it and feels it's the right thing to do, then we have to look at the supportive factors to make something happen. <coughs> and that, those supportive factors, one, will be risk. It's terribly easy to live in the comfort zone of thought with the nice ideas, dwell on that, and the bottom line is there isn't enough uh, quiet determination and the pleasant thought of the idea is a way to hide the fear. It, the pleasant thoughts can be which uh, arising may be the block to the movement due to the fear which is um, lying underneath those pleasant thoughts. We don't want to deal with the fear, so we create uh, a presentation of pleasant thoughts, things I would like to do with my life, and we don't do it because there's fear underneath it. And sometimes the feelings, perceptions, thoughts, views, that sequence, so vitally important to us, may mean we have to ask ourselves, what am I afraid of? What's the risk or the steps that I have to take? And when it's something rather big for us, whatever that may, may be about, you're in a job, you've got a nice pension plan, what else do you get with a job? I've never had a job, I can't remember. Um, you've got a nice pension plan, you've uh, got job security, well, not, well, it might have had a few years ago, not now, but anyway, etc., uh, uh, etc. Et and all of that, it's a, it can and does work well for some people. But if inside of oneself says, I need to change, I need to take the steps and uh, uh, the risk, the gap in making the leap outside of the known and outside of that relationship, or marriage, or where you live, or what you do, whatever it is, if the gap is too big, despite the pleasing nature, or sometimes displeasing nature of the feeling, the perception, the thought, the view, but the inaction, the non-action is going with it, then that gap, to bridge that gap for some people, will require bridging of smaller ones first. Simple. Because the gap's too big. I can't make the leap. I'm afraid to make the leap. I, 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 I could lose too much. I'm getting security from this situation. Difficult. Therefore, the gap <coughs> may be too big there. It's a little bit... What would be um, an, an analogy? Well, the analogy uh, could be the uh, the jumper, the long distance jumper. You see these uh, uh, men and women, uh, usually unusually tall, and they go go watch them. They'll be doing it in uh, these races in London, the Olympics next year, and they come racing down there, and then they. It's amazing, they fly off into the sunset. 
And then, and then they land there. I'm not sure what distance these guys and women are jumping these days, but uh, it takes the breath, you know. So presumably it's wider than this room, but anyway, off, off, they, off they fly. It's in small incremental steps that that gap, that they bridge that gap, they get further. So if there is some area of your life, our life, where the thought is wanting to take the risk, wanting to take the leap, one can't do it. Be humble. Be modest. Look at the other areas where there are hesitation. They're holding back from talking to another person. They're holding back from staying, from getting up early in the morning. Uh, difficulty in letting go of the small things of day-to-day -day life. If we can bring some consciousness to those uh, uh, areas and we feel that's part of the exploration of our life, then there will be the movement and we'll feel the benefit and uh, the encouragement and the courage that goes from feeling, perception, uh, to thought, to view and to action. And all the men and women on this earth who you and I love and appreciate, past generations and future generations, for whom we have great respect, are men and women who have felt things are important, have perceived that's important, have genuinely thought and reflected on it, have expressed the view, have taken the steps into the unknown, and all of us have benefited considerably from that. Just um, uh, uh, some of us um, uh, like uh, reading um, uh, novels, and in, and, and in Dharma, Dharma, in terms of truth, Truth is, um, in, in the Buddha Dharma, in this case, uh, truth is that which touches us and contributes to waking us up. We see the truth of something. So it's not found exclusively in science or in Buddhism or in the Buddha or uh, in philosophy. Well, or in religion, well, that goes without saying, really. And um, much <laughs> apologies to the Buddhists here. And uh, uh, it's found also in poetry. It's found in uh, fiction. It's found in the in the dramas of life. Sometimes things just things just touch us well and deeply. Being English, of course, I have a. Uh, if some of us have a great, uh, great love of uh, uh, Shakespeare. And, as we know, sometimes it's just the one-line statement there, just coming out of the, uh, the meter, the form of writing of uh, Shakespeare. And even if one has no knowledge of Shakespeare or whatever, sometimes something touches the human psyche 
and it travels every, everywhere. People may know nothing about Shakespeare, but they might know the line, to be or not to be, that is the question. That question would be worth dwelling on, reflecting on for the rest of one's life. And forget the rest of Shakespeare, just to be or not to be, that is the question. Then he goes on about being noble, and, uh, as the Buddha said. So a year or two ago, I um, just came across, actually, on Amazon, um, a German author, novelist, Hans Verlade, written a, wrote a novel in 1946. And this novel was about a couple in Berlin during the Second World War. And the Falada, who died a year or two after, uh, in fact, um, had some contact in Berlin with the Russians. And the Russians, his Russian friend, had given him some papers about an incident that took place in the, in the war and that incident uh, um, inspired Falada to write this novel based on this true uh, event. And, you know, if I have a, a top ten list of novels I've read in my life, I'm, I've got this novel up there in the top ten list. And the family, a couple, husband and wife, had heard that their son, quote-unquote, had become, in France, one of the fallen. Was killed in France. One of the fallen. And the couple began talking to each other and realised that what was going on in fascist uh, Germany and all the Nazi propaganda was a horrendous uh, Thing was going to cost everywhere and including people of Germany a, a terrible, terrible price as it surely, surely did some five to six million people German people died here as, in this country as well as elsewhere and they decided perception, feeling thought, view and action that they felt absolutely helpless the incredible control of fascism over everybody's lives what could they just an ordinary couple do in the face of this system that they lived under and in terror of if you raise your voice in protest and the couple started to write postcards small of protest against the regime incredibly brave thing to do and then they would go out into the city and they would find a place just to leave the postcard stop the regime fascism is, fascism is destroying us Hitler is a nightmare and putting these out in Berlin and of course people were afraid of these cards in case People, the Gestapo thought it belonged to them. Some people are saying, look, we have these, found this card here, we found it there, we found it there. 
And so in the Gestapo headquarters in Berlin, they had a map with pins of where all these cards, and they were on the hunt for this couple, or the, whoever it was doing it. There. The, the, the courage, feeling, thought, perception, view, ac action, uh, there. That the protest of the individual, in this case the couple against the system, uh, there. And we wonder, I wonder, in this, this form of non-violent protest, what is the metal that women and men have to take these kind of steps? Where does that empowerment, and when we think of those situations, and of course they got caught, they got caught, and all the consequences of that. But what is it that when, that People find something and they can dig so deep into themselves that it allows that to take place. And sometimes when you and I, though comparing often doesn't help us, but sometimes you and I look at the, the lives of such people, very brave people, who take these steps and we think, my God, what am I making a fuss about? The fear and anxiety of the rather petty little changes that I want to make in my life and I'm afraid to do that. And there are people with that kind of calibre and, and, and metal and, uh, and, and vision who will take these kind of, kind of steps. So sometimes they say something touches us and human beings we need, I need and I'm sure you do too, sometimes we, we need these accounts we need inspiration. We need the good voice of others. We need to connect with people who are willing to take steps because they're not content just to have lots of good thoughts running around, some really good ideas, and not mobilize them. Not make it happen. And Dharma practice, my goodness, if it's a practice of awakening, and the practice of discovery and realization, it must include action. No matter what it is. I, uh, just after <coughs> the. Uh, actually, the Buddha's own story is a pretty good, pretty uh, interesting one. Um, he wasn't so desperately compassionate as the Buddhists like to think, I have to say. So immediately after the uh, awakening, and some, quite some realizations uh, there under the, under the Bodhi tree, and tens, hundreds of thousands of pilgrimage, pilgrims go there to the Bodhi tree uh, every, every uh, year. And immediately afterwards, he thought to himself, that simply people are not going to understand these teachings. They're just not going to understand. They're not going to understand how of, about the nature of causality and how things come through causes. They're not going to understand about the emptiness of I, me and my, of egotism and and the liberation that comes through seeing into causality. 
You're not going to understand that. And therefore, he said, to try to get people to understand would be tiring and weary, understand, wearisome. Like, just, I feel exhausted trying to get like that. So he said, I am inclined, this is, this is the Buddha, after awakening, fresh from profound experiences, overloaded with love and compassion. And he looks around and thinks, I'll never understand. <laughs> and he said, my mind inclined, these are the words, towards inaction. The thought was, oh, I don't bother with them. <laughs> they never understand. They want us to remember the context. This is India. This is the high point in Indian history of exploration and inquiry. This is a whole region of northern India with gurus and spiritual masters and yogis and sadhus and satsang morning, noon and night and meditation and living in the cave and great uh, teachings and teachers and spiritual, religious, philosophical inquiry went on everywhere. And he looked around and he said, they won't understand. <laughs> the thought arose in my mind, Look here, Gautama, just be grateful you weren't born 2,600 years later and teaching in the West. <laughs> Look at the West, mad on materialism, completely fascinated with gadgets, plus or pleasure, sex, money, Wall Street speculations, and uh, crisis and stress and unhappiness. It's not exactly, Europe's not exactly full of spiritual masters and great yogis and sadhus, etc., etc. And then on top of all this madness of materialism, I mean, apologies to those of you who are Christian, but the religion of the West, of this God the Father, who created us, who loves us, and promises some great reward at the end. The same God the Father who ordered the death of all the firstborn in Egypt, sent all the plagues, destroyed millions of people's lives who weren't believers, sent down his own only son to die for all our sins, lets him get crucified by the... Uh, the Romans, and then Apollo-like, there's a resurrection into heaven. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, to me, I apologize, but it's just incomprehensible, these kind of beliefs. And there are millions and millions who still believe this. Not, and the world started 10,000 years ago as well, in seven days, I mean. So we're living in a culture of materialism accompanied, I mean the number is getting less and less, yes, uh, of um, Judeo-Christian, uh, to me, strange belief systems. They, whoa! 
Where is the, how's the Dharma going to explore all of this? And yet, going back to 2,600 years ago and today, that when Sahampati, he was a, a Brahmin, lovely and holy man, godly man, said to him, said to Gautama, look, there are beings, you know, people with metaphors, with little dust in their eyes. With little dust in their eyes. And if I may, may say, as a small servant of the, the Dharma, uh, just say today, that despite everything, you know, this strange complexity that we are living in in our rather mad society, that nevertheless there are beings around in this room and elsewhere with little dust in the eyes, genuinely uh, receptive. And that exploration uh, and inquiry has made the movement to action. It brings you here. It questions one's inner life. You take steps to explore. And keeping that vision and that actuality uh, alive is, is a liberating movement. It is a liberating movement. And, and, and I mention that and repeat a, a little bit here, pardon me, that often, and this is again part of the uh, dynamic of the teaching, the view, feeling and perception and thought is, if I practice, 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 then at the end of my practice, when I've exhausted all my stuff, when I've got rid of all my karma, when I'm really, uh, what should we say, pure, clear, wise, wonderful human being, when I get toward the end of that, then I'll be liberated. This is the construct. So here I am, struggling away or experiencing happiness and wonder. I keep doing this, this and this. And then at the end of it, I get liberated. I get enlightened, I get awakened, get something or other anyway. It's not quite in accordance with the Dharma. Because the Dharma is a, is a movement which is liberating. That the path and the liberating movement are actually working together. It's not an end, it's a movement, and it's a very precious movement. And sometimes, you know in your life, and I know in my life, we have come to the edge, something big and important for us, or something small, but nevertheless, we have come to the edge, <coughs> and something inside of us has quite purposefully and deliberately or spontaneously, made a change for us, a genuine change, and we have felt and seen it to be liberating. All sorts of things. There's been a movement. Perhaps we've reached a junction, a crossroads. We have taken the step, it may be from the known to the unknown, we've taken that step and that uh, leap, so the movement towards that 
is the is the way and along the way there right in the middle of the way the step is changed and there's something freeing us about it and the concentration of the buddha's teaching is a way of life that is liberating that's the consideration a way of life that is liberating and it means for us, for you, for me, for others that it's not that we can say oh I am liberated <laughs> or the other is well one day if I keep practicing maybe this lifetime and next lifetime I will get liberated it keeps making for the gaps as I mentioned can we find the passion very keen word of the Buddha can we find the passion the energy the vitality the mindfulness the concentration <coughs> the good support of the Sangha the helpful conditions to take some of those steps in life that we just know we need to take to explore and allow see ways that things free us up and so therefore during the course of the days sometimes you know there are things sometimes which one just has to let go of just learn to do without and though it's uncomfortable at times and difficult the act of letting go it is something which is liberating sometimes the action towards is liberating from the old and we want to find and explore a way of life and give support to each other in which to repeat the words before feelings and thoughts and perceptions and views and actions are uh, taking place and in some areas which are genuinely important for us to really see what the steps are what is it that needs to be empowered to enable that which is valuable and important to actually happen what is it that needs to be empowered what needs to be nourished and developed there because as I say thought of the good idea hmm, probably won't have enough power to it sometimes we are surprised sometimes just sitting on the retreat a thought about something comes you know you need to respond to it and you follow it through and that means that the thought was supported with something else and we're interested in that thought which is healthy skillful non-harming creative uh, with passion and interest to move life we pay respect to ourselves with this we pay respect to each other we pay respect to life because human beings have incredible potential for creative and liberating discoveries 
And let's really keep that in the heart of our interest. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see the clear relationship from perception and feelings to action. May all beings explore a free way of life. Let's have a quiet minute, shall we?